Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode 20 of the Family Medicine Rocks podcast for October 6th, 2011. On today's show, I was in the great states of Kansas and Missouri last week for the uh, Kansas Patient-Centered Medical Home Summit, sponsored in part by the Kansas Academy of Family Physicians. And I'll be sharing some patient stories in their own words and also some thoughts from that meeting. Also some thoughts about the passing of Steve Jobs. All that and a lot more coming up on Episode 20 of the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the president of the American Academy of Family Physicians, Dr. Glenn Stream. Um, this year, one of my commitments and, and a great interest is to be more engaged with you as leaders, chapter leaders, uh, and, and our frontline membership. Uh, on, on Monday, a Twitter handle, I'm privileged to be the first one to hold, at uh, AFP Prez, P-R-E-Z. I already have 29 followers. I feel so proud. Um, I have a long, long way to go to catch up to uh, our current student board member, Kevin Bernstein, who has a little over 1,000. Um, and our, uh, our king of family medicine social media, uh, Mike Sevilla, who has uh, nearly 7,000. Medicine and social media. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. I'm your host, the friendly family physician. My name is Mike Savilla, family physician and social media enthusiast. What is this show about? <laughs> well, I tell people this is uh, social media through the eyes of a family physician. Check out the website at uh, familymedicinerocks.com. Feel free to join me on Twitter and Facebook. Shout out to all 7,134 people who are following me on Twitter. I have no idea why. Thank you so much for that. Also, shout out to all 251 people following the Facebook page for this website. Thank you so much. Today is Thursday, October 6, 2011. It is 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And right here at Family Medicine Rocks World Headquarters, feels like 69 degrees Fahrenheit. So how has your week been going there, kids? I mean, here, weather-wise, it was cold and rainy at the beginning of the week. It seems to be getting a little bit better towards the end of the week, which doesn't really matter to me because I am on call this weekend. I know. Wah. Stop whining. You get to travel all around. Come on, you got to work sometimes. 
So, okay, that's true. That's fine. (laughs) And as I've said for the past few shows, this show, this podcast, this program has a new mission in life. And the uh, mission is to, for this show to be broadcast live from the 2012 American Academy of Family Physicians meeting in the great city of Philadelphia one year from now in October 2012. I know, crazy, nuts. <laughs> uh, and I also ask you to uh, show me some love there. I was involved with a uh, continuing medical education program, or CME, Trying to answer this question, can social media help patients be compliant or adherent with their medication plan? Don't send me any email or tweets or whatever. Please go to this website here, cmecorner.com slash A-D-H-E. Please fill out our pre and post surveys. Please watch the videos. Please make the case especially to those people funding CME, that social media is worth funding, is worth learning about, is educationally good or appropriate, especially for physicians to know about. On uh, today's show, uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, last week's uh, Patient-Centered Medical Home Summit in Kansas partly funded by the uh, Kansas Academy of Family Physicians. And I have some audio clips from that meeting in which patients are on it telling their story, uh, sometimes frustrated on uh, how they're trying to deal with, get through this broken healthcare system. But first, I do want to thank Blog Talk Radio for making me a featured host. Thank you so much for that. I've been a social media hobbyist since 2005, including over 200 of these Blog Talk radio shows. This might as well be show number 220. And if you're curious, yes, I am a real doctor. I am a family physician in full-time private practice, meaning I see patients five days a week in the hospital and in my office. Here in beautiful and sunny today, northeastern Ohio. I'm going to take my break here. And after the break, I'm going to be uh, talking about last week's uh, PCMH meeting in Kansas. You're listening to the Family Medicine Rocks podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Family Medicine Revolution. Just Google FM Revolution for more information. Also a member of the ProMed Network uh, podcast, you can go to ProMedNetwork.com, and we'll be right back.
That's right. Family Medicine's leading voice in social media, in my own mind. <laughs> this is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast live here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Uh, so uh, let's talk about this here. So last week uh, I was in Overland Park, Kansas, to attend the uh, Patient Center Medical Home meeting from the Kansas Initiative there partly funded by the Kansas Academy of Family Physicians. Shout out to everybody out there from the KAFP, including Carolyn Gaughan and her crew. You can check them out at kafponline.org. You can also check out the KAFP or PCMH initiative. You can go to uh, kansaspcmh.org, I believe. So this meeting was to talk about the patient center medical home. If you don't know anything about it, go to FamilyMedicineRocks.com, find the blog post entitled Kansas PCMH 2011. A kind of a big picture type of thing. It's something that family physicians have been doing for a long time, mainly team-based care. It's not just a physician. It's not just a nurse. It is a whole healthcare team which can include people like physical therapy, occupational therapy, pharmacists, social workers. This concept is not foreign to family physicians because we've been doing this for a long time. But this is kind of a little bit foreign to people out there in the healthcare industry or the people funding healthcare, meaning the government, meaning insurance companies. So part of this meeting was to try to get the message out about why PCMH is good. One of the many reasons is we have data, family medicine has data saying that PCMH no, not only is efficient, it is also cheaper, better patient satisfaction, better provider satisfaction, better physician satisfaction. The easy part, or the hard part, is to trying to get that adopted. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. But this first audio clip I have for you here, I mean, these first few are from patients. Patients who are in this broken healthcare system, patients and also providers who feel inspiration, who feel frustration in being part of this system. The first audio clip I have here is from a nurse, Maria McClatchy, RN. And she took care of a, a patient whose name is Richard. And in this story that she talked about during the meeting, she talked about how she felt a part of his health care team, how she felt that he was the center of the patient-centered medical home. And she took steps even beyond what her job calls for to make sure that she took care of her patient. She's running in a marathon this very month, which I believe just occurred, because of Richard. And she told the story during the meeting and I'm going to play this for you right now. I encourage you to play this a, a couple of times 
I appreciate people listening live, but when you download this, you're going to have to listen to this a couple of times to get the full impact of what this story really means. Here's Maria telling us about her patient and friend, Richard. In October, I'll be running the Chicago Marathon. I've never been a runner, but was inspired by my friend Richard to join the SCIS, or Spinal Cord Injury Sucks, team and commit to raise money for spinal cord injury cure research, as well as raise awareness of the devastation that spinal cord injuries can cause. Unfortunately, I'm running not only in honor of Richard, but in memory of him, as Richard passed from complications of quadriplegia last February. I was part of the care team who got to know Richard during the months he spent at OU Medical Center following a spinal cord injury which left him paralyzed from the chest down. He shared with me the things he loved before his injury, how he lived an active and full life while teaching others to do the same. I'd like to share with you the story about Richard and what may be learned from the patient who is at the center of our care. Richard was admitted to the trauma ICU May 5, 2010, following a bike accident which fractured his neck and injured his spinal cord. I remember the first two days with him very clearly. Naturally, he was scared, unsure, distraught, but behind the anxiety, he was still Richard, an active, health-conscious person who, despite the stress of the situation, made sure his mother was bringing him tilapia and protein shakes rather than having to eat the unhealthy food at the cafeteria. I remember being amused by this as I was almost seven months pregnant and jumped at any chance to eat unhealthy. At the end of his second day, the swelling in his spinal cord had begun to suppress Richard's ability to breathe, and as a result, he was sedated and placed on a ventilator. This was the last time I saw Richard for almost two months. That night as I was leaving, I went into premature labor and was placed on bed rest for the remainder of my pregnancy. I returned to work on July 5th and was surprised to see Richard still on the unit. He was still ventilator dependent, so communication was difficult. We rely heavily on lip reading to, me, to communicate with ventilated patients, and this is a skill that Richard helped me perfect. Each day I spent caring for Richard and his mother, Sharon, who were there every day. I learned a bit more about him and all the things he enjoyed in life. I used his expertise as a personal trainer to begin losing my pregnancy weight, and in September, when a group of nurses on the unit started a weight loss competition, Richard created a personal workout regimen for me. He cheered me on and also made sure I gave up my three Coke Zero a day habit. While I didn't win the competition, I lost by half a pound, Sharon and Richard had a special workout shirt made for me that read proudly, Body by Dick, which is what some of his friends jokingly referred to his personal training endeavors as. I had the pleasure of spending nine months with Richard and Sharon and the rest of the family. I came to love Richard for who he had been and who he was becoming. He may not have meant to, but he taught me that I'm not caring for a spinal cord injury. I am caring for a person with a spinal cord injury. I'm a better person and definitely a better nurse because of Richard. I'm now trying to pay it forward by raising money for spinal cord injury research, and I feel it's important to share his story. 
Spinal cord injuries are unfortunately a very common injury and devastate those injured as well as their family and friends. It's difficult for us as healthcare providers. As a nurse on a level one trauma unit, we can often feel like we are fighting a losing battle. We have to remember we are caring for a person, not an injury. And often the people who need our care the most is the family of the patient whose life we touch, even if for a short time. There are some patients who we just cannot physically save, but providing patient-centered care means that we know each patient is a person, each family unique, and regardless of the outcome, we can rest assured at the end of the day that we have truly cared for our patients. Richard will not be there at the finish line to celebrate my run, but the impact he has had on my life will live on forever. I got to talk to Maria during the conference and um, got to know her a little bit and I got to dig deeper into her story and to Richard's story. And there's nothing like talking not only with patients but their caregivers about the impact that one person has on another person. I mean, when you hear that audio clip, when you read about it, I mean, you, you visualize, you know, this person on a ventilator. But with her words and her description, she enriches the whole situation. She tells how this patient inspired her, inspired her to a point where she changed her life. She became more conscious about her health. She trained for a marathon. She's going to be running in a marathon this month. And it is those type of stories that need to be told. To say, hey, above all the politics that goes on to healthcare, healthcare is such a politically charged word. Healthcare reform is such a politically charged word or set of words. You have to dig deeper into it to find out the stories behind the words. And I appreciate Maria's story. After that presentation, there was not a, a dry eye in the room. It really made an impact on everybody there and emphasize that we do give the best patient care even though we, we are in a broken healthcare system. We can do better. But when it's done right, when it's done more efficiently, when it's done cheaper, when it's done with better patient satisfaction and provider satisfaction, the potential for change is just enormous. I'll be sharing more stories right after the break from the Kansas Patient Center Medical Home Summit last week. 
You're listening to the Family Medicine Rocks podcast right here on Blog Talk Radio. My name is Mike Savella, and we'll be right back. Medicine Rocks podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Family Medicine Revolution. Just Google FM Revolution for more details. Now, I have more uh, uh, audio clips here uh, from the Kansas Patient Center Medical Home Summit last week in Overland Park, Kansas. The next clip I have here is from a mom. Her name is Grace, and uh, she has a child with a diagnosis of autism. Now, the diagnosis came about 20 years ago, uh, in the early, ni- early or mid-1990s, when there wasn't really, there was less known now than there was back then. And in this audio clip, and I apologize for the quality of this audio clip, um, I was, you know, many feet away. Um, but I did record it on video, and if you go to FamilyMedicineRocks.com and search for the post, Kansas PCMH 2011, you'll be able to see her. You'll be able to get a little bit better audio than what I have here. But, but I think I did the best I could to extract it. And what she talks about um, in a two-and-a-half-minute audio clip is she tells her story. She tells her story of how she tried to get care for her child in rural America that did not and does not have a lot of resources when it comes to this type of care. But it does have a good ending if you hang on till the end. Here's a clip from last week's 
PCMH meeting. Um, but my story started with my pediatrician, who was really a really nice guy, by the best pediatrician I've ever happened to have. And my youngest daughter was speaking at age two. But at the same time, I was putting my husband in a psychiatric hospital, a single parent, working night, four kids, my one son had arthritis, and he figured, oh, it's just chaotic home. And I go, yeah, but I really like to have where you And in the meantime, the speech pathologist comes to me, she comes running down, she goes, great. When are you going to see that dumbbell pediatrician? I'm like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, three months from now or something? No, you need to see her now. The next thing I know, I'm right in the witch's house. I come into Wesley, it's kind of dark, but the secretary's there, and I've got Margaret, you know, Margaret. And she uh, takes my information, and the development person looks at me, and she looks at Margaret, and she's less than five minutes, and she goes, I'm sure your doctor told her she has severe autism. I'm like, huh? And then get this, so she goes into her office, she photocopies the book, brings it out to me, and says, here, you get to read about it and I'll see you late six months. So I drive back to Solana. My pediatrician wants to know. And so I go in there, and I go, okay. So she says, it's possible. She's like, oh, yeah, I thought that. I'm like, okay, I'm going to tell me this, but that's fine. They go, so do I bring her in for developmental checks or whatever? Goes, no, I don't want to see her medically. Take her in for six. That's it. I'm like, great. So I go home and I call my mother and complain that she's in the Twin Cities. And my mother was a classic person that said, you know, worse, life could be worse. She goes, well, great, you know, you can have this problem and live in Bosnia where they're fighting it. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> Basically, her story is that you know her child wasn't talking. I think age two, and she went to her pediatrician, and said, "I don't know what's going on. You better go somewhere else." So she goes to, I presume, a bigger city, a bigger center, and uh, was told that her kid had uh, autism. And the only education that she was given, well, she was given a book, and told to go back to her pediatrician. So she goes back to her home pediatrician and uh, told the pediatrician that they thought uh, her child had autism. The pediatrician said, oh, I thought that. And Grace is like, well, why was, why was somebody going to tell me that? What do I do next? And there wasn't too much guidance after that. So what she then goes into is that she says that she had to create her, home, her own medical home. This was 15, 16, 17 years ago. She was the one that had to create the team, physicians, nurses, therapists, social workers. And she said that she's been doing medical home concepts for a long time to a point where her child is now in college 
and that was the big round of applause at the end. So the patient center medical home is not a new concept. It's been around for decades. It's just that I think that it has got, gotten some traction to a point where specialists have jumped on the bandwagon and say, hey, we can have a, a patient center medical home with a specialist at the center of it, not primary care. What? Yeah, I know. And they say, hey, we have no problems with primary care getting more money. Just don't cut it out of our payment. We want to keep what we have. So that's kind of part of the politics of all this. This next story, which I know is still bad audio, uh, but this is from Maria, not the Maria from our first story. But this is a mom whose name is Maria, and her child has developmental problems, cheating problems, to a point where there has been no medical diagnosis for her child up to this point. It's been over 10 years. I know. How can that be? I have two audio clips for her. This first one is about a minute and a half. Again, apologize for the audio quality. But pay attention to the very end of this audio clip, and you'll see why I find this clip important. So I had fortunately seen a brochure for intercoverage services and had given them a call that day. And had made, I, I had called and said, I want to get my son evaluated. The whole time at different times going, who referred you, who referred you? Well, I did. Imagine that family member calling them, calling the provider and saying, I need help. Um, so that was the start of our journey. It's been a real interesting journey because I am the medical health. I have had the um, experience of uh, trying to figure out uh, what he needs with not having a path to go on. Uh, we started out looking, uh, getting a referral to the um, to Children's Mercy, the developmental pediatrician and a rehabilitation uh, pediatrician, and that was our beginning. Um, and slowly and surely we found that um, there, there was a, a lot of information. And um, at that time, in the, in the early 90s, I wasn't on the internet. And those of you who know me now know that I'm not uh, big on getting uh, not technologically you know, interested because I just don't have the time. Uh, but I, I knew what I wanted for my son. I had dreams and I hoped it was for any child. And his, uh, no, so I know that was really garbled audio, um, and you'll be able to see this if you go to FamilyMedicineRocks.com and search for the post called Kansas PCMH 2011. Um, I did take some audio during the meeting. I did make it into a YouTube video, and you'll be able to see Grace. You'll be able to see Maria tell their story. So to summarize that clip, if you weren't able to hear about it, uh, to hear it very clearly, uh, is that uh, you know the essence of that clip is that she says. I am the medical home. I am the medical home for my child. And you could see in the room, you could feel in the room, you know, the hush of silence after she said that. Because everybody knew that she, she got it. I mean, she already had it. I mean, she knows what we're talking about. She believes in team-based care. She believes that, you know, getting a team of medical experts, um, people, caregivers, to help her child is the best thing to do. Uh, but yet she's still frustrated. 
She's frustrated to a point where she, in this next audio clip, she says she reaches a tipping point where she says, hey, I cannot do this anymore. I have to find some of my own help. Here's Maria. And the tipping point was a couple of years ago, um, realizing that um, I've been providing information all this time to this one clinic and um, not getting anywhere. My son uh, uh, is currently uh, about 28 pounds, 14 years old. He has been going to this clinic since he was two months old. And nothing was addressed. Every single visit, he had eating issues. Um, he was, it was four-hour visit, four-hour doctor visit, okay? And um, he would be hungry. He needed to be changed. He had needs that needed to be met. And those were done in front of the doctor's doctor. And at, at no point in time did he go, huh, that's good enough. Maybe you should do this. Huh, Tom has chronic constipation. Maybe you should see a GI. I don't know. Um, and a tipping point was a few years ago where it all the, the huge light just came on, and I'm like, um, they're taking my input, and they're, I'm, they're asking me, well, how's school going? Da 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 da. And I'm like, I'm telling them he's augmented communication. I have an IEP, blah blah. Gets mobile services, and I sat in a tent, and I'm like, do you know what I'm talking about? And the person said no, and I said, oh, that was that was not the right answer I wanted to hear. <laughs> I'm a Mexican mama. I'm just like the heat got turned on, and I was like, okay, I go, well, maybe, maybe you should go and do an observation in a classroom, a special edu education classroom, for a couple of times, and actually find out when a child has significant disabilities or any type of disability, how that plays out in the classroom. How that, what that means, what kind of services does that mean, and what does an IEP look like? Sit in an IEP, and she just looked at me, and I'm like, um, I'm done, I'm done. Uh, couldn't bring in the next person. And um, I talked to a fellow, a medical fellow, and uh, we were talking, and he goes, has anybody ever suggested a feeding study? And I, oh, my goodness, that was the other tip before, and I said, I've come to this clinic for almost 12 years. My son has come to this clinic for 12 years. Nobody's ever suggested that. How would I have not known to do that? How would I have known to do that? And if you see on the video at the uh, you search for uh, Kansas PCMH2 2011, you can see, you know, that she's pounding, you know, not very hard, but you can see her being assertive, you know, pounding on the desk saying, I have been coming to this clinic for 12 years. Why have, has, hasn't anyone told me about this test or further exploration on what my problems are. Why is that? has anybody do that? How would she know? 12 years old, 28 pounds. I mean, I heard that. I was like, really? I mean, can you really believe that? And she was, she was also great to talk to. She goes to all kinds of educational conferences, any kind of conferences, that she can find to try to learn more about the situation. A lot of people talk about this e-patients, you know, e-patients being empowered, you know, about their own medical disease, about their own medical treatments. What I saw was a different type of what some people would call an e-patient. Parents, parents being advocates for their children, for their child, when it comes to their medical care. Them saying, I want the medical records of my child. 
I want all the options. I want more options than what you're generating for me. If I don't, I'm going to go somewhere else. And that was plainly evident in this storytelling. And it's even better when you see it on video. And I hope you get a chance to do that. But just hearing these couple of patient stories, these three patient stories actually, really crystallized something to me is that, you know, patients want better care. Patients want a better health care system. They, they don't want, you know, the health care team or physicians or nurses or anyone else, you know, kind of handcuffed in our system. They want us working with them. They want us to do more. And I'm glad that, we, that they are on our side. As we further explore this patient-centered medical home model, I know that patients are going to be on our side. I'm going to take another break here. And uh, I have a couple other audio clips here. Uh, one's going to be about social media and healthcare. Um, and one's going to be a very interesting closing audio clip from the closing session uh, that you're not going to want to miss. Uh, you're listening to the Family Medicine Rocks podcast right here on Blog Talk Radio. We're talking about the uh, Kansas patient centered medical home meeting that took place last week. We'll be right back here on Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> That's right, family medicine. <laughs> family medicine. Social media through the eyes of a family physician. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. My name is Mike Sevilla. And uh, the next audio clip I have here from the Kansas PCMH conference has to do with social media. Yeah, social media was all over this conference. There was a huge Twitter wall on the uh, main stage conference, the, the stage. And uh, people like me <laughs> were able to tweet up there, which was very cool. We were able to uh, pull in uh, some other uh, Twitter people, tweeters, uh, from off campus to uh, talk about the meeting, talk about the patient-centered medical home. Uh, but in this clip, uh, this is a psychologist, April Foreman, my new best friend. <laughs> she's fabulous. Uh, she, and she's talking about uh, Twitter and social media. Uh, she lives in rural Kansas. And uh, in this audio clip, she talks about how she was able to spread information via Twitter during um, a, a natural disaster, meaning uh, the uh, Joplin tornado. Many of you have probably heard of that or saw that uh, news reports on television. And uh, what she says, and again, this pretty poor audio uh, quality clip, uh, she was online for a Twitter chat, the uh, very famous Hickson Twitter chat, uh, and uh, that is when the Joplin tornado 
struck. Um, and this is her story on how she used Twitter to get the word out um, about uh, what to do next. So I was getting ready to do a victim chat, and a tornado was coming my way. It was the second tornado that was coming my way during the Sunday night chat. And about 15 minutes before it was going to hit, and we were all like, I was still getting ready to tweet for the chat, but from our, like, our stage place in our house. And, um, and the tornado veered and hit Joplin, which is about 30 minutes away from Maine, which is the major city where we shop, which I know very well because the college around there. And uh, so somebody immediately tweeted the police dispatch radio, that's the scene on like you hear the radio. And I knew that there just aren't a whole lot of social media people there yet, and nobody was really on Twitter yet. But I could hear the police dispatch stream, and I'm not designed for emergency response work. I'm emotionally not made up for that. This is a little traumatizing. You know, as they say, I found a foot. Or as they say, there are people screaming, trapped in the Walgreens, somebody gets chainsaw. You heard all of that. And, and the goal is not to sensationalize that, which, which I did not. The goal was to try to think ahead and do that responsibly while I was just horrified. And so um, me and a couple other locals, you know, we'd say, don't get in the way of first responders. The police chief needs chainsaws. This is the drop point. The trade-off points are on these streets. If you need to get somebody wounded somewhere, this is where you go. And I tweeted really consistently every useful, appropriate, and that's part that takes some judgment. A piece of information I could find on the police dispatch stream for about two and a half hours until everybody else got on and started doing it. I was exhausted. Uh, you only saw the people tweeting at the conference. They're worn out because it actually takes a lot of focus. And I tweeted for about two and a half hours and then just conked out. People got to the triage centers. Things happened very quickly. It was a useful, helpful thing. More first responders, and you don't have to be a doctor to do this. You don't have, but it was a healthcare event. And Joe Citizen can do that. And we should have violence to saying, if you're a citizen and there's an emergency, here's the, here's the best thing you can do on Twitter. Because people want to be helpful. People, most of our responses often come out during those times. We should tell people what to do. As a matter of fact, I called, I figured to call you in my hand, and I said, for your husband, the first responder, tell me the top three things that I should tell people that first responders want everyone to know. And Anne helped me on the Twitter. So I've never met a person. She's fantastic. succeeds like success. That's Dr. April Foreman talking about social media and healthcare. And uh, you should see it too uh, on familymedicinerocks.com search for Kansas PCMH 2011. And uh, the uh, her entire presentation was recorded 
uh, by Tony Wood. Um, and uh, I'm going to try to maybe uh, put some other clips from her presentation uh, on the uh, website because it was very good. A lot of different examples on how to use uh, social media and technology in healthcare. Uh, for example, use of QR codes. You know what those are, those little uh, square things that you see that you can scan with your phone. And one of the examples that she uses is that uh, <laughs> they made a poster they put in bars. Uh, and uh, they uh, put a QR code on it, and you scan it, and it shows you where anywhere you can get an immunization uh, in the Kansas City area. So very creative things on what uh, what people can do. And also uh, talked about uh, posing this question: what, what if you use a QR code to put a temporary uh, tattoo on a kid, and the QR code tells where you can get an immunization in your local area? I mean, how fascinating is that? Uh, so that's very, very cool. Uh, so this last clip I'm going to play, play for you is from the closing session. Um, it is uh, from my good friend, uh, Dr. Rick Kellerman, uh, who had the daunting task, very, very difficult task in my opinion, in trying to summarize uh, the entire meeting. And uh, what he did was uh, that he took quotes that he heard through the meeting and he put them up on his PowerPoint and he talked about them. And I'm like, dude, that's what Twitter is. Twitter Twitter is curating information. Twitter is taking these quotes, putting it out on the Internet, and not just have it shared at the meeting, but have it shared everywhere else. So we're working on Dr. Kellerman to try to sign up for a Twitter account. So if you know Dr. Kellerman, send him my love and sign him up for Twitter. <laughs> but here is, his, uh, here is his quote. It's only about a minute. And he talks about the importance of this meeting. He talks about how he goes to a lot of doctors' meetings, but, but uh, there's usually only doctors there. Uh, there's usually only people in their own little community there. Uh, and in this meeting, you got people from a lot of different walks of life, a lot of different stakeholders um, in the meeting, and how, in his words, this was a historic meeting, something very important for the state of Kansas here is Dr. Rick Kellerman. There's a lot of medical conferences, and there's a lot of doctors there, and once in a while there's some nurses there, there's some PAs there. But this conference was specifically designed to be a little bit different in that there are other members of the healthcare team. And for the eight pilot programs that were here, uh, if just the doctor was here and the uh, uh, office staff wasn't here, or if just the office staff was here and the doctors weren't here, you really missed something. And a lot of this conference was about the team and about the team's efforts. Uh, what I'm going to try to do, and I think there's some other stories. Uh, the four uh, physician organizations that came together for this entire program has never been done in the state of Kansas. Uh, we tried it about 10 years ago, getting the groups together. That's the story. And then having the three funders come together to fund this is also important. So I just think as we look back, this is going to be uh, a conference that we look at in the future that uh, this was the tipping point of change in our state. And you folks were here to be part of it. This was the tipping point for our state, and all of you were here to take part in it. Wise words from a family medicine leader. Um, someone who's been to a lot of meetings, um, who has taken part of a lot of advocacy efforts uh, that is very meaningful for me to hear. That was very meaningful for everyone in the room uh, to hear that um, as well. 
So thanks again uh, to uh, Lisa Roberts and the uh, Page Center Medical Home Initiative, also uh, to Carolyn Gaughan and the Kansas Academy of Family Physicians uh, for the invitation to head out there and to uh, cover the meeting and to take part in the meeting, uh, to participate in the meeting, and to uh, hope to share uh, this meeting uh, with um, everybody uh, out there. Um, I will take uh, one more break. And uh, our last segment, my last segment, will be some thoughts about the passing of Steve Jobs, uh, what it means to me, um, and his meaning, um, not only on my life, but a lot of people um, that I know that I've heard from in the past 24 hours. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast live on uh, Blog Talk Radio. We'll be right back here for our last segment of the show. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. And if you threw a Welcome back to the Family Medicine Rocks podcast live on Blog Talk Radio. My name is uh, Mike Sevilla. Uh, and our last segment here um, is uh, about um, Steve Jobs and uh, the Apple CEO, uh, the visionary, uh, someone who I never met but has been a significant part of my life. That is a quote that I've heard from uh, numerous people um, around um, in the past 24 hours. People have said that, uh, you know, how can you be so emotionally attached to somebody that you have never met? How can you be so, so emotionally moved uh, by someone that you have only seen on television or that you've seen uh, on the Internet? And... I wrote a blog post about this. It was a, it was a big rambling blog post, not even any kind of organization at all. It was uh, something that was you know unedited. Um, I wrote it in about 20 minutes. Um, it was about 11 p.m. Uh, last evening, and I just wrote down some memories of you know my first Apple product that I experienced. It was in school. It was in junior high. Uh, it was the Apple IIc, and I was amazed by this thing uh, called a mouse. Uh, and uh, it was like, oh, well, how does that work? Um, or color on a computer screen. Uh, wow, I mean, I can make this uh, little uh, primitive little house here, um, and that's pretty cool. I remember when my father uh, bought our first um, Apple computer uh, at home. And, uh, you know, of course, as a kid, you know, that you play a lot of games on it. Um, and then as I got into, you know, junior high and high school and college, I got to use it more for school, word processing, 
um, and that type of thing. Uh, and then, uh, you know, our first uh, dial-up uh, modem. Uh, I was so excited when we went uh, from a 14.4 modem to, I think it was a 32 modem, whatever the next step up was. And saying, hey, man, this is really fast. <laughs> um and uh you know i remember being being made fun of uh you know in college you know cuz uh, you know the campus uh you know only had like one or two apple computers <laughs> and uh i was able to do work both from home um and uh at work uh, both at home and uh, at school uh and then you know getting my own you know apple products i got i remember getting the first iMac the beyond the blue iMac I think the 233 megahertz uh, iMac, and uh, I remember getting an iMac with any, without any kind of uh, CD drive, and saying, "Hey, what is the deal with that? What is this USB?" I have no idea what that is. Um, and last evening, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was on the internet, and I was on Twitter, and I was on Facebook, uh, and uh, I got to watch uh, some of his speeches. Um, if you haven't already, go to YouTube and uh, search for the Steve Jobs uh, uh, Stanford speech, I believe, from 2005. And uh, that is very telling uh, about the insight of this guy. There have been other uh, speeches and other things put up uh, on YouTube and on Twitter as well that I've been, I've been, uh, I've been watching. And there are some, some lessons uh, that I take from his life. You know, one of them is just be passionate. Be passionate in what you believe in, despite what anybody else says. Be passionate in what you believe in. And another lesson is, is, you know, don't worry about being a visionary. Don't worry that some people may not understand what you're talking about. Don't even care what anybody else thinks. And he didn't. And, you know, not everybody agreed with how he ran his company. Not everybody agreed with how he conducted business. He's a very private person, didn't hear much about his public life. But he was successful. He kind of transcended culture. He transcended entertainment. He transcended computers. He transcended technology. He transcended politics to be who he is and to be one of the most beloved people around. Definitely, some people would say a polarizing person. You definitely get a reaction one way or the other when you mention his name. But this is a guy who, for better or worse, whether you agree or disagree, had a vision for the future, had a vision on how consumer electronics, how the consumer personal computer would be done. And he didn't do it all right. He made mistakes. He admits that himself. But he learned from those mistakes. He learned from those mistakes, and he capitalized on them, and he made them better. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we believe that cancer took his life And there's not much that he could do about that. But in the many interviews and the many quotes that I've seen today and last night, 
One of the things he's always said is that live your life to the fullest. Probably paraphrasing, but live your life to the fullest and don't look back. And that's what I will remember about Steve Jobs. Thank you, Steve, for all the inspiration that you've given all of us. Thank you for all of the products that you have given us, the vision that you have for how to consume technology and information. Thank you, Steve Jobs. That ends the show here today. Thank you all for joining me. I encourage you to check out my website at familymedicinerocks.com. You can join me on Twitter. You can join me on Facebook. You can download this show. You can catch the video clips on my website. All the good stuff there. (laughs) And don't be afraid to reach out and say hello. (laughs) I welcome your feedback. I love hearing from fans. I love hearing from people uh, who uh, listen to the show, who read my blog posts. Now, in the next few weeks, I'm going to be going to uh, some places here. I'm going to be going to the great city of Los Angeles uh, to the Family Medicine Summit of the uh, California Academy of Family Physicians. And also in November, I'm going to be going to uh, Missouri, uh, to the uh, Missouri Academy of Family Physicians. We're going to be talking about social media um, there as well. And there's also also always great opportunities um, out there, too. So, again, you know, don't uh, don't be scared. You know, be passionate about what you believe in. Uh, speak out. Speak your heart. Um, and uh, everything will turn out okay. My name is Mike Savelli. You can always find me at uh, familymedicinerocks.com. And get more information there. I'll close the music out. I'll close the show out here with this uh, little uh, music here. I will see everybody down the road. Have a good day, good week, good weekend. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. Remember to let her into your heart. Then you can start to make it.